Hi there. You're listening to the Parent App Podcast by Focus on the Family Singapore. While there are no perfect families, every relationship can turn the corner. Hello and welcome to the Paranet Podcast. My name is June and I'm your host for this episode. In each episode of the Paranet Podcast, we'll be tackling questions that parents are asking about family life, parenting, marriage, work life and more. We'll be speaking with everyday parents and practitioners to share with us their experience and practical ideas. We hope that you'll keep tuning in to learn with us and to grow in your journey as parents. No parent should ever have to grieve over the loss of their children. But the sad reality of life is that some parents do walk down this dark and difficult path. Today, we have two special guests, Cameron and Delia Walcott, with us on the show. Welcome, Cameron and Delia, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Cameron is a pastor of the Cornerstone, Michigan, and Delia is the principal of a Christian school in Michigan. Delia is a personal friend of mine, and my kids still recall going to her home during Christmas and baking Christmas cookies together. Cameron and Delia, I'm so sorry to bring this up, but really thank you for being willing to share with us this difficult experience that you walked through. You lost Caleb, your eldest son, in October 2020. Could you share with us more about what happened? Yes, sure. Caleb was our firstborn son, 13 years, uh, 10 months old on October 6th, 2020. And on that morning, uh, the day before, you know, had been a normal day in our house. We had had school. We had had two football practices. It was a good day. Caleb was excellent in everything he did, outstanding. But on that morning, when I went to wake him up, when I went to his room, to wake him up in the morning. Caleb didn't wake up. He actually was always awake on his own. That morning, he wasn't sitting outside reading his Bible like he always was. So I knocked on his door. There was no answer. And when I went into the room, I I found him unresponsive. It was the biggest nightmare, of course, that you can imagine. I remember shouting for Delia to come downstairs where Caleb's room was, and she ran downstairs. And everything we did, we called 911. He was unresponsive as his heart had stopped during the night. Well, I cannot imagine how that moment would have felt like. And I I guess it was really difficult for you guys to accept. Could you perhaps share with us some of the thoughts or emotions that ran through your mind at that time? I mean, it was totally unexpected. I felt like really blindsided because he was so healthy and we were having a good conversation. But also it's like one of the first things that first thoughts that came to mind is how we did everything we could have. We couldn't have caught it uh, we didn't know he had a problem because he didn't have any symptoms but also that there was I mean of course there are always regrets but in a way it's like we had such a perfect day the day before that it helped us with the regret part many times when you lose a loved one you would think like oh I wish I didn't scold them I wish I didn't say this to them I wish I had gone to this place that they wanted to go but we did everything that we wanted to do on Monday and he requested for chicken alfredo. So him and I, we like to cook together. We cooked chicken alfredo for dinner. And then he said, can you make me fried rice for lunch tomorrow? And usually I would say no because I already just made dinner. But for some reason I said, yeah, sure. And he was so happy. So it's like I fulfilled his last request without realizing it. So thankfully in that sense, like I didn't have regrets. Like we had such a good relationship. We did everything together and 
there was no regrets in that sense. Of course, we would do anything we can to have him back. I felt like he left in the best way, least painful way for him and for us, because it's like when we found him, he was uh, in a very peaceful position. He was hugging his pillow and he was sleeping. So I called my doctor friends and asked them, do you think he was in pain? Do you think we could have heard him crying for help? Do you think like all the what if, could if, should have and all that? But my friend said, judging from his way he was sleeping, he wasn't in pain because there was no signs of struggle. So it's almost like he just passed peacefully. And that's how we found him in the morning. Thank you for sharing, Delia and Cameron. Well, I think the grieving process can look really different for different people. Cameron, you wrote a book titled I Love You, Little Mister in memory of Caleb, right? And I think you kind of alluded to this as well in your book. Could you share with us how you both coped with this pain of loss, especially in the days and weeks after his passing? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was unimaginable uh, pain and, and loss. Uh, we had no idea that there was anything wrong with Caleb at all. He was living life to the fullest and serving God and uh, be, uh, excelling in school, excelling in sports. And uh, then one day he was just gone. So uh, I would say in, in those initial days, all we really felt was pain. And uh, that's that's the only thing uh, that we felt. But I would say that the way we grieved, uh, a couple of things we did, we turned to God, we turned to our faith, and we realized in those days that drawing near to God strengthened us in ways we couldn't understand. And even the initial days when we couldn't feel anything at all, we still got strength from turning to our faith. And the other thing we did really was we were able to stay close to each other. We shared our feelings with each other. We, we spoke to each other. And I think that's important that we didn't turn just inward, but that we turned to each other. And we had good foundations in our marriage that enabled us to do that. So I think it's important that in this sort of tragedy, we didn't turn away from each other and we didn't turn away from God. We turned towards each other. We turned towards God. And it didn't mean it was perfect or easy, but it enabled us, I think, to grieve in a way that ultimately leads to life, in a way that ultimately leads towards hope. Uh, that if we hadn't turned towards each other and if we hadn't had our faith, I don't know what we would have done. I think to add on, really, because both of us grieve differently, so we need to recognize that, like for me, grieving means crying. I know in our Asian culture, my mom will tell me, don't cry because she feels like crying will make me hurt more. But crying is necessary and it's inevitable Like you just have to cry. So I have friends who would sit with me without talking and just cry with me. So like for me, grieving is crying, is having friends around me. For Cameron, he preferred to be alone. Like having friends around him doesn't help. So we recognize that we grieve differently and we respect each other's need. Like he tries to get friends to come over to spend time with me. So I try to give him space to grieve by himself. But both of us are there for each other. Really sometimes taking turns to be going through the pain. It's like I'm crying and he's comforting me. Or the next day he's crying and I'm comforting him. So it's like we needed both of us because there's no one else who understands the pain as much as the both of us because we are both killed parents. So having each other for that process is really important. And like what Cameron said, our faith in God, because if we don't have hope in God, it's like the end of Caleb's life means the end. But because of our hope in God, we know that Caleb is very much alive and that keeps us going. Wow, that's really powerful. I think even though you have different ways of grieving, you kind of, like Cameron, you said, turn towards each other, you turn to your faith and you kept each other going in your 
darkest and most difficult moments. And I know you have two other children, Evan, who is age 13 this year, and Anna, who is nine. It must have been very traumatic for them as well. How did they cope with this loss and how did you help them through this journey? Evan is 13, like you said. He almost is the age that Caleb was in in October of 2020, still a couple months younger. So he was 11 at the time. And we really just, from the start, we talked to him and tried to get him to talk. Evan was at the age where he was so close to Caleb. Evan's entire life, Caleb had been there. They'd played together their entire lives. They'd done everything together. But, you know, he didn't show too much outward emotion when it happened. He didn't show a lot. He just was in sort of stunned silence. So I would say we talked to him and we talked as much as we could. But he also was just entering the young man stage where don't want to show any uh, emotions or any pain. And even now, two years later, he's still somewhat working through that. But I think uh, one thing that was really important for us to work with Evan, with Anna, was to keep a sense of family is still our family. We're still strong with each other and to give them good times. You know, we celebrated Christmas two months after what happened with Caleb. We went to Disney, which we had never done, but it was a dream of Evan especially, more than Caleb. Caleb would have liked Disney, but also didn't really care. Evan was a Disney maniac. So we went to Disney just four months after it happened. And of course with Anna as well. So I think to say, how did they take it? I don't have a good answer because there's no like story where Evan had this great breakthrough. He went through it sort of quietly and it, and we would talk to him as much as possible. But I think we helped cushion the blow for him and Anna by retaining a sense of normalcy and retaining our, our tight-knit family as much as we could. I think also like being real with them so they see me cry. I don't try to hide my crying from them because seeing me cry uh, shows them how much I love Caleb and also to that same effect, I love them. In those days, if they see me crying, one of them would just come sit with me, hold my hand. Or sometimes Anna would look at me and say, Mommy, are you thinking about Caleb? And then she would just sit with me and hold my hand. So I think they are very well adjusted. And I have to say that having seen other families go through loss, it's important for the parents to get help because if the parents are not able to cope with the grief, they can't help their children. So I've heard of like parents who spend months and months sitting in the dark crying. So they are not able to help their other kids process the grief. So if, if the parents don't get help, they are not going to be able to get help for give their kids help. So they may need external help, like getting counseling for their kids. So people have asked us, have you thought about getting counseling for your children? We've talked to them, especially with Evan, because he's old enough. Uh, his reply is he'd rather not talk about it and he's fine and he will let us know if he's not fine. So we leave it at that because we have a good relationship. So I would go on walks with him, checking on him and ask him, how are you doing? Do you want to talk about it? And usually his answer is, I'd rather not talk about it. But it's like we are feeling it and we are thinking of it together without having to put into words because a preteen will not be able to process their emotions in that sense. But they're both doing very well. Yeah, I would say, Anna, it definitely hit her in a way, but she was only six when it actually happened. So you could tell that she was able to sort of separate herself from what had happened as a six-year-old. But I think, again, we had support from family and friends who took Anna out and did things with her. And because of that, one thing we do is we remind her 
as much as possible about Caleb. And when she did a school report, uh, she had to describe her family. So we made sure that she included Caleb and things like that. I think even sometimes she talks about him. She said the thing when we asked her early on, what do you remember about Caleb? She said, oh, he would hold my hand and take me to school every day. So when they walked from the car to the class door in the school parking lot, Caleb, 13 years old, would always make sure he took the little six-year-old Anna's hand. So she remembered that. And since then, we've kept his memory alive by mentioning those things to her and reminding her of that. So she knows she has another great older brother, but her oldest brother, uh, Caleb, she knows loved her and she remembers that. I think that's such a precious picture that you just painted of Caleb holding Anna's hand. And I really like what you said about restoring and reinforcing this memory in her that she had this eldest brother, Caleb, who really loved her and held her hand when going to school. Very often we deal with difficult things by not talking about them so much, perhaps sometimes even hiding them. But I really like what you shared about really bringing it up to the surface while at the same time respecting Evan's desire to not talk about it if he doesn't wish to at the moment. I think that's really a good balance to strike because if we hide from it, right, then it becomes this really terrible thing that we cannot face and it becomes buried, right? Yeah, and one day it will blow up in your face because it's like a pent-up pressure. So it's better to always be open to talking about it. I think like with Evan, because he is a writer like his brother, so sometimes expressing it in writing will help too and not necessarily to us, but it could be like in one of his school reports or school journal that he would mention having had a brother. So like I think we like to read stuff like that that shows that he's still thinking about him. But he's very open to talking casually about Caleb. Like when he brings up this funny story that Caleb did this, he will still talk about Caleb because he spent so much of his life with Caleb. It doesn't become like a topic that we cannot talk about, like the white elephant in the room. I make it a point to even when I meet new people, when we have new teachers in the school, my first conversation with them, I've going to put it out there I'd rather you hear it from me than from someone else that I had a son and we lost him in 2020 so I feel like it's always better to address it and not try to hide it and I think that really shows me the strength of your family like how you walk through this together and how you were intentional in walking through this journey together even with your kids and I like what you brought up Delia about how different even children have different ways of processing and how Evan actually writes about these things in his journal or school reports. I wonder if there are other ways that you guys memorialize Caleb and jot down or keep memories. So Caleb is a, I mentioned he's a writer. He actually wrote five books that we, I helped him publish on Amazon. I work with him on the first three. It's a series of uh, stories about superheroes and supervillains. So I helped him publish the first three. And then the last two, it was after he passed that I finished editing and putting it on Amazon. So I teach in the school that my kids go to. They actually dedicated a corner of the library. They call it Caleb's Corner. So I like the alliteration, Caleb's Corner. And they have his books there. They have his football uniform, his basketball jersey. It's the whole corner that they set aside to remember Caleb. And my family actually sent money to pay for that the things that they did so like that's one way that the community has helped to remember Caleb and honor his memory 
just this night, I was at a uh, football practice, American football. So uh, they've named the field after Caleb that he used to play his flag games at. And we still, I still play with Evan. This is my last year coaching Evan. It's a league for up to eighth grades to about 13-year-olds, sec one, sec two age. And uh, they named the field after Caleb. So every time we go there, we play games. I still coach there. There's that memory. And I mean, of course, what I did, one of the ways that I memorialized him, you would say, is through the book I wrote, I Love You, Little Mister, A Father's Struggle Towards Hope and the Ultimate Tragedy. I wrote that book. And of course, through doing that, it wasn't that long of a process. I think most of the writing took place in about two months, three months. So I published it. It, it was released 14 months after he passed away. But you know, a lot of that was editing and everything else. The actual writing was quite quick, but it was a way to remember him and to make sure his story reached as many people as possible. And in the process of writing the book, was it something that was sort of healing for you as well, Cameron? Yes, I, I would think so. I don't know if healing is exactly the right word. People have asked me that, but I think the it was a process of perhaps healing, making sense, not making sense because you can't make sense out of the senseless, but uh, wrestling with what the answers could be and wrestling with just thinking through all of these thoughts about why this happened and what God could be doing through it and, uh, and things like that. It was healing, although that's not exactly the word I would use. It would be more discovery, perhaps is how I would see it, more of a process of discovery. Even the name of the book, A Father Struggled Towards Hope, and some of the reasons that we have that hope, I discovered myself through the process of writing as I looked into the scriptures and through prayer, things like that. So yeah, it was a real process of discovery. I think the stories about Caleb in the book really helped us to share what an amazing boy he was, because he really was amazing beyond his peers. He did so much that his peers have not achieved. And like God must have a reason for giving us such a talented boy. But also like, I think what Cameron may be struggling to say about healing is that you don't really heal. The pain is not sharp anymore, but you don't really heal. You don't really like get over grieving or losing a child. And it's something that you carry it for the rest of your life. Um, it's part of your life now. I think this reminds me of a cartoon or a meme that I once saw about grief. Like at the beginning, it's this huge black ball in a small container with barely any breathing space between the ball and the container size, right? But over time, the ball is still there, but perhaps it becomes a little bit smaller. There's a little bit more breathing spaces around. I think that kind of helps us to visualize what you guys are sharing. We never completely heal from it, but we do learn to move on and the sharpness of the pain is no longer the same. I'm just wondering, how can we give ourselves the permission to grieve and to take the time that we need? Sometimes as busy people, we tend to like maybe get distracted and we think that it's good to like quickly jump back into activities, right? And maybe not think about the problem or the incident so much. So how can we give ourselves that space and time to grieve? I think I had a lot of people around me remind me, even my bosses at work, they are telling me don't rush back into work because that can be a way, like you said, to be distracted but not really dealing with the grief. I think it's a conscious effort to let yourself grieve. Even now, you know, two years on, when I think about him, his cemetery, he's buried in a cemetery that's really close to our house. I can be driving and I think about him. So I allow myself to take a detour and go to the cemetery and just cry for a few minutes. Like to me, that's still like 
the continual process. But also it's my way of like, I still remember him. I'm never going to forget him. Basically, it's that it's allowing yourself to take a detour from your day to day to spend time to cry if you need to, to remember him, to jot down something in your journal. I block, so jot down something in my blog to remember him. It's really giving yourself the time to do that. I think people are wired differently. When it comes to giving yourself space to grieve, I wrote this in my book as well, that serving others in our grief is a key to overcoming grief. And I found that's really important to not just turn an introspection But to say, well, how can I use this to help others? How can I use this to bless others? It's not about, well, can I do if I can be a superman or a superwoman, the pain will go away. But it is asking the question consciously and repeatedly, how can I serve others and how can I use this to bless others? I remember right after what happened with Caleb in the days after I had two different friends reach out to me who had unexpectedly lost children. And they use this to serve others in their moment. So that's something that I've tried to do as well. And even processing grief, I think it's better as we serve and as we help others and if we just focus on our own pain. So that's one thing that I really have discovered over the last couple of years. So for Delia, is taking time out of her schedules to just spend time crying and processing and grieving. For you, Cameron, it's more of reaching out and turning outward. So indeed, it really shows us the different ways and there is no right or wrong when it comes to grieving, right? You just do what is helpful to yourself and you kind of know that. As we reach the end of this podcast, would you have any tips to share in terms of what others did for you? you found helpful, perhaps so that we can learn how we can support other people as well. I would say reaching out, (laughs) people asking us how they can help, letting us know that they care. One thing, of course, is talking about Caleb. I've seen this in other resources as well, but sometimes you think, well, we don't want to mention Caleb because we don't want to cause pain. But it's actually worse when you don't mention him and you forget the person who's passed. So I would say that's one very practical tip is don't feel like you can't mention tragedy. Don't feel that you can't mention the person who's gone because that won't make it worse. If it's something like losing a child, it's already there constantly. So it doesn't make it worse by mentioning it, but it actually is good that they know that you know that they've remembered your child or your loved one. I found it really helpful when my friends did very practical things like bringing food for us because in those days, the few days after he passed, we are not in the right mind to function, but we also know we have two more kids to feed. So I have friends who will come and take them out or bring food for them, bring food for us. Very practical things and they will just come and go. I also have stories of people who did things that we wish they didn't do, So, but we're not going to go into that. What was helpful was them coming by and leaving and not staying so I have to entertain them. Because when Mm -hmm. someone is grieving, they really... It's they're not ready for company. So if you really want to help, just do what they need without expecting anything in return or without expecting them to have to take care of you when you visit them. What they need is really just your practical support. And so really helpful to have them help with our other kids. Well, thank you for sharing. I think we would all find that really helpful. I really want to honor you guys, Cameron and Delia, for taking time and for opening up about such a difficult part of your life journey with us. For our listeners out there, we hope that you have benefited from Cameron and Delia's sharing and that you have a better understanding of the topic of grief and are hopefully more equipped to journey with others who might be grieving. For more parenting and mental health resources, do remember to check out our website 
www.family.org.sg. Do also follow and subscribe to the Paranet Podcast.